Good morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? You glad to be here? You made it through the blizzard. You made it. <laughs> Let's stand and worship together. Come on. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. You can go and have a seat for just a second. We are so excited. You made it through the snow. My son over here this morning when he woke up about 530, I, he didn't even know I was in the bathroom getting ready, but he, he wakes up and I hear him say, oh, my dream came true. It snowed. 
Dun, 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 dun. He carol the bells. I'm like, yeah, kid, it ain't Christmas. It did snow, but it ain't Christmas anymore. Um, but yeah, so how many of you were excited about the snow? How many, how many of you said, ah. okay, so well, some of you, well, I like the snow, but that's cool. I'm glad you made it here safely. And if you are a first-time guest, we want to get to know you a little bit better. And we also have a special gift for you out there in the Visitor Center, so please take the time to go out there and check that out. And also, uh, for everyone here, we've got the connection card in the pews right in front of you and online and on the app. Again, just ways we can get to know you better. So please take the time to check that out. And we have got a lot of stuff coming up here at Westgate. We've got a lot of stuff going on. So take just a couple minutes and check out the screen. Happy New Year. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Evan, and I'm on the worship arts team here at Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. We've got a lot of really exciting things happening as we start into the new year, and we want to make sure you don't miss out on any of it. To start out, this winter at Westgate, we are offering several classes focused specifically on discipleship. Beginning on January 21st is a three-week class on apologetics. Can you answer some of the hard questions that skeptics ask and defend your faith? We will review common objections and review evidence to overcome these arguments. Ultimately, the goal is to give the world an answer for why we believe the Bible and have hope in Jesus. Then, on February 1st, we are offering an eight-week class called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. This class not only will help us grow deep roots spiritually and intellectually, but help us become emotionally healthy disciples as well. Finally, later in February, parents and their kids are invited to join our Empowered Kids class, which offers practical advice and helpful tools to empower parents and kids with biblical coping skills to stomp out anxiety. This class is for parents and kids in second through fifth grade. Check out the brochure and the sermon notes or our Westgate app to sign up. Moms of preschoolers, get ready for a fantastic start to the new year because Mom Life is back. Over the past months, Mom Life has become a place where real conversations happen about the things that truly matter. And we're excited to kick off another year of laughter, support, and genuine connections within our incredible community. And here's the best part. It's never too late to jump in. Whether you're a returning member or new, we invite you to join us Wednesday, January 10th. Mark your calendars, invite a friend, and get ready for an amazing year. For more details, be sure to check out our app or events page. Once again, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're glad you're here. Enjoy the service. All right, yes, again, lots of stuff going on for now. Why don't you stand up and greet one another, and maybe you can tell this per- tell the person you're, you're greeting whether you were one of those people who liked the snow or maybe didn't like the snow.
heads and close their eyes for a moment. When I ask you, are those lyrics true in your life? My sole devotion, my only focus to worship you. Is that your posture of worship this morning? Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Because if it's not, you're going to miss out on what God wants to teach you this morning, what God wants to do through you this morning. So in this moment right now, I'm going to ask you for your own sake, put your focus on God. Whatever you have to do, whatever your prayer needs to be, we're all going through many different things in this room. Whatever's distracting you from making that true in your life, Him being your sole devotion, your only focus, do that right now. And then let this next song, just let this song be your prayer. Captivated by the splendor of your face, my 
my secret place I'm wide awake drawing close stirred by grace and all my heart is yours all fear removed I breathe you in I lean into your love
thank you so much for, again, the opportunity to be together this week here in your house and worshiping you. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the depth of your love for us that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the reason that we are here and we gather here, Father. We gather, God, not just for what we can get out of this, but what we can come and give to you and worship because you are so worthy of all of our hearts and our lives. And so this morning, God, I just pray that you attune our hearts, especially to you, that as we come and we give our worship to you, that a byproduct of that as well, God, is that our hearts would be open to also receive from you and that you would speak into our lives, God. Meet us this morning right where we are at with every struggle, every difficulty, and even in the midst of every celebration. God, be in the midst of that with us and teaching us to continually be walking close with you and yielding our hearts to you. God, as we uh, continue our worship this morning, again, we are going to take up our offering and the offerings that we give, Lord, um, are an expression of our worship again to you. Lord, we're thankful that you allow us to be a part of bringing the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, to people in our community and throughout the world. And Father, we pray that as we take up these offerings, uh, most importantly, God, that you'd be glorified. That Lord, as we give, that it wouldn't be out of compulsion or just tradition. But Father, really an expression of our heart that we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for what you've done in our lives. We're thankful, God, for how you continue to use us. And so, uh, Lord, be glorified. And we pray that you would multiply these offerings this morning. Uh, in such a way that they would bring many people to a knowledge of your son. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. 
as you you may be seated and as you are if you're on the center aisles if you could grab those offering buckets and in a just a continued moment of worship we'll pass those out and collect our morning offering We haven't had the opportunity uh, to meet. Again, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate, and I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, before we jump into uh, God's Word together this morning, I had a couple of uh, things that I wanted to mention and uh, just make you aware of, and really actually with these first two, especially invite you in to uh, pray with us. Uh, one of the things that we uh, have been excited about is the opportunity to support uh, Josh Cook as he serves overseas uh, in a European uh, closed access country. We're not allowed to uh, publicly say where that is as we're streaming our service this morning, but uh, he has been serving in Europe uh, with youth in a specific specific country and specifically with the National Church, and uh, it's been great to have him home over the Christmas season, uh, but Josh is going to be heading back here very shortly on January 15th, and so I would just encourage you as you have opportunity, you can see him today uh, out in the hallways, just uh, I would encourage you to continue to uh, go up to Josh and just uh, uh, be praying for him and asking him specifically how you can be praying for him uh, as, he, uh, as he heads back, uh, but Josh will be going back. And then another thing that I'm excited about to invite you into, we've talked about this in some small pockets, but not openly yet. Uh, it was about a year ago that uh, I was saying to you as a church that uh, we really want to get back to sending people to the mission field as a church. And my mind and heart had been focused solely on just residency program of how we might find people in schools that we could invite in and prepare them and send them. But the Lord put a conviction on my heart that maybe there are people here in our church body that he wants to go. And over this last year, God has been placing it onto the heart of a couple uh, to do just that. Paul and Lydia Eriks uh, have been going through a process with the Christian Missionary Alliance over the past many months uh, as they were interning this summer with the Carries in Germany. Uh, and then also uh, kind of the alliance has sped them through their process because there is a need and an opening. They are going to be heading out with the Christian Missionary Alliance to Black Forest Academy uh, in Germany. Uh, coming up at the very end of this month. And so two weeks from today, we're going to be commissioning them in our service and praying over them as a church family. But they are in the throes of getting things together with their family, packing things up, doing all the things they need to do, raising support. And so I would just encourage you, as you see Paul and Lydia, uh, be an encouragement to them. Ask how you can pray. Ask how you can support them. But be excited with me. I'm excited, though I was really hoping for a couple of residents we could keep for a couple of years. I'm still upset they're not staying for a couple more years, but 
we are joyful to send them out and see how God is going to use them. And so uh, I'm excited for that. That'll be coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, one last thing, item of business uh, to let you know about is also we have our annual meeting that is going to be coming up two weeks from today on uh, Sunday, January 21st. I would invite you, whether you are a member or just a regular attender, to come and join us uh, as we're going to be talking about all the things that God has been doing in this past year, but that uh, we believe he is leading us to in this coming year. So many exciting things. And so uh, following our second service on the 21st, we're going to be having a uh, luncheon in the gymnasium. Uh, we invite you to come bring your kids. Uh, we'll have uh, some, some child care there for your, the youngest kids uh, during the meeting portion. Uh, it'll go from noon to about 1.30. Uh, but we're going to handle a couple of different things during that. We're going to have our elections uh, for elders and deacons. And you can see those posted around the church this morning. If you're a member, you're going to be receiving those bios of people that are up for election uh, in your email this week. But as well, we're going to be voting on uh, a simple bylaw change. And I know the immediate thing is, oh, bylaw changes, that takes a long time. These hopefully should be very fast. Um, you'll see that if you're interested in knowing what they are, we've actually placed them out on the uh, kiosk in the main entrance. You can pick those up. But when Dave Johnson, our executive pastor, uh, moved and we brought in a new director of operations separating Dave's job. So we have Adam Just as our executive pastor of ministry and now Todd Friend, who is our operations director, we needed to change some titles to make it congruent in the bylaws. So very simple stuff, but you can check those out uh, ahead of time by grabbing one of those forms. So please be sure to do that. And if you're going to come, especially bring your family, can I encourage you this morning to do me a favor? Can you grab a connection card, even if you're a regular attender, write your name on it, and can you just write down how many people from your family will be joining us? And you can drop that uh, in the buckets that are in the back as you leave in the middle of the room here. Uh, that'll help us to know how much lunch uh, to provide for that. So uh, great things that are coming up. Um, before we get into the Word together, I want to take a moment to pause and pray. And uh, I was uh, shared with First Service this morning, when I showed up here at church, uh, it seemed like there were all sorts of things that were going wrong. Uh, computers weren't working properly. Our lights weren't working. Uh, there were just all sorts of bugs and glitches. I believe the computer for the worship team wasn't working right as we were starting the service. And uh, I'm going to be sharing with you guys some really direct stuff from God's word about Satan and his lies to us this morning. And I have no doubt in my mind that Satan wants to do everything that he possibly can to distract you and to distract me, all of us together from what God has for us this morning. And so let's center our hearts and ask God to be present with us and open up our, our hearts and our eyes to see him clearly this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much again for... Um, just allowing us to be here this morning to have this time that is set aside to worship you. I have no doubt in my mind, Lord, that as we take a look at your word this morning, as we share the very crux of the gospel message, but even more so, we seek to expose Satan and the many different ways that he attempts to distract us from you, that he would love nothing more than to take our eyes off of you this morning. And so, God, I pray that you would be in every aspect of the service I ask that you would cover everything from the computers to the lights, but even if we have none of those, God, protect my voice and let your word go forward. And I pray, God, that most importantly that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move inside of our hearts so that we would hear clearly 
your words spoken to us today. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray, amen. I got a question for you. How many people here wear glasses or contact lenses? Just give me a quick raise of hands. Wow, that is, that is a good number of you. Uh, when first service raised their hands, I was pretty convinced that it was every single person in the room. One of the things, though, that I have noticed recently is that my eyesight is, uh, as I get older, is getting progressively worse. Uh, uh, my family reminds me of this every time we're driving somewhere, and I am squinting, trying to read signs on the side of the road, oftentimes almost passing or passing by the road where I'm supposed to turn because my eyesight seems to be getting worse. But a lot of people don't know that when I was in college, I actually got glasses for the first time. And I'll be honest with you, my eyesight actually wasn't that bad when I was in college. I went to the eye doctor. They did all those tests that you're supposed to do, you know, blowing air into my eye and looking at it. And the eye doctor told me that I had 20-20 vision, but just a little bit of an astigmatism. And it would be really good for me to get glasses for night driving. And uh, I really think he just wanted to uh, charge me for some glasses. That's, that's the bottom line. But as he was sharing that with me, honestly, I thought to myself, you know, I'll just go with it. I'll get some glasses. I figured it would give me that distinguished look, especially as I, uh, you know, thought the ladies would think it was rather handsome. You'll see a picture of me here on the screen with those glasses in the background. Yeah, maybe not quite as distinguished as I thought. But uh, what's interesting is I wore these glasses for a few years uh, and uh, until I got back from Israel. That picture is actually when I was on my way to Israel with Biola University. Uh, but when I got back, I actually went to visit Rochelle. And Rochelle and I at the time were just friends. We hadn't, weren't dating yet. There was definitely interest on my part, by the way. But um, as I went to see her, I can remember coming up and uh, as I got to her house, uh, I learned something, which is this, is that uh, I didn't wear the glasses to her house, and she thought that when I wore glasses, I looked incredibly nerdy. I would tend to agree looking at that picture. But because I didn't wear them, I found out later that she thought I looked really hot when I showed up without my glasses. Now I know. That was the absolute last time I ever wore those glasses, just so you know. But alas, 23 years later, three kids and a very secure marriage, but also with some seriously aging eyes, uh, I broke down this week and I've made an eye doctor appointment. Uh, I'll be going in just a couple of weeks, uh, likely to get some glasses. Uh, the only positive I see coming out of this uh, is that my insurance will be paying for this illustration to open our sermon this morning. But starting a new series today, and it is entitled Nearsighted. We're going to, if you're like me, when you think about nearsightedness or the clinical term myopia, nearsightedness, you can't uh, really keep straight the difference between nearsighted and farsighted. So I want to help you out just a little bit this morning. If you've got your sermon notes, you can pull them out and you can follow along with me here. But uh, I want to give you first the definition of nearsightedness from the, from the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic defines nearsightedness this way. They say nearsightedness is a common vision condition in which you can see objects nearer to you clearly, but objects further away 
are blurry. It's like, you know, I can take our sermon notes and I can look at these and everything looks good. I can read it well. But when you take, like, I've got letters up here that are on the screen and I can see them blurring. And when they're smaller, I can barely read them. I'm nearsighted. I can see things better when they're up close, but when they're further away, things are getting pretty blurry. You know, as I was looking at the Mayo Clinic this past week, there were some studies that were done, and they showed that in the 1970s, only 25% of Americans dealt with nearsightedness. But they did another study in uh, the year 2000, I think it was 2020, and when they did this study, the study showed that now 42% of Americans are now nearsighted. So in just that span of time, it's grown incredibly. That's 140 million people that are nearsighted. Now, the World Health Organization will also tell you that statistics and trends show that by the year 2050, that over half of the world's population will, will deal with nearsightedness. Now, I'm just going to give you one shot this morning. Can anybody guess why it is it seems that nearsightedness is an issue that's growing in our culture? Why? Right, screens, right? Did you say screens? Uh, people in the first service were throwing up their phones and their iTablets, right? Or their, their, their uh, tablets, they were iPads. Uh, as, as we think about those screens that we look at, there's blue light that comes off of those, and they say that as that goes into their, our eyes, it's actually deteriorating our eyes quicker. Well, as you think about how many people deal with nearsightedness in our country and in our world, as we begin this series, I would offer to you that nearsightedness, in a different sense, affects far more than half of the world's population. Because you see, as we dig into this new series together, we're going to be talking about nearsightedness a little bit differently. We won't be talking about nearsightedness as a vision condition, but as a human condition, in our series, you'll see here, this is the definition that we're going to operate with, is that nearsightedness is a human condition in which we tend to focus on circumstances that are right in front of us at the expense of missing the best of what God has for us. I'll say that again. You can fill it in in your notes, that nearsightedness is a human condition in which we tend to focus on circumstances that are right in front of us at the expense of missing the best of what God has for us. If I were to try to summarize this for you in a very tight, neat package, I would say it this way. We see now and God sees next. We see now, but God sees next. And over these next three weeks together as we go through this series, we're going to look at three different ways in which this human condition of nearsightedness affects our lives. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up with me to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you have your Bibles, your phone apps, uh, I'd encourage you as well, if you've never done this before, you can download the Westgate Chapel app. You can do your sermon notes right in there, type in the fill in the blanks. We also have spaces where you can type in your own personal notes. But one of the things that I love is that where the scripture passage is in the notes, you can click it and it'll pop right up on your tablet or uh, on your phone. But uh, whatever you choose to use this morning, Genesis chapter three is where we're gonna find ourselves. And the reason is, is because as we dig in together, next fill in in your notes, our own nearsightedness, I believe, finds its origin in the creation account within Scripture. 
As you think about this, and you think about Genesis chapter 1, the Bible opens the history of mankind with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what happens is that the writer of Genesis goes on to tell us in breathtaking detail how God had created the land, the sea, the sky, the rivers, and every living creature in the world. It also tells us that he created Adam and Eve, that he created man and woman. And the Bible tells us that they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. They walked with God in a perfect place. And Eden was probably far more beautiful than anything we ever experienced or seen in our own lifetime. And it was teeming with untold potentials. Adam and Eve lived there in a perfect relationship with God where he would provide for their every need with nothing but the best of what he could give to them. And when we read the creation account in Genesis chapter one, what we see as you continue along in your notes is this, is that all that God made was worthy of the highest commendation. It was worthy of the highest commendation when it tells us that he separated the light from the darkness and made the first day. When it says that he separated the dry ground from the seas. When it talks about how he created the first plants and shrubs and trees and bushes that grew on the earth or that he created the animals in the sea or in the sky or on the land, even creating man and woman. Every time we see him create, it says these words, that God saw all that he made and it was very good. In other words, letter A in your notes, the creation was the personification of perfection. Now I want you to think about this. What is the most beautiful place that you have ever been to or beautiful sight that you have ever seen? Actually, take just a moment. I'd love for you to turn and talk to the person next to you. Think about for a moment, what is the most beautiful sight or place that you have ever been to? And what was the feeling that you had when you stood there in that moment looking out at God's creation? Turn and share. What is that place with somebody next to you? Go. As you share and you think about it, I want you to remember back to that place and that moment where you looked out at God's creation. Do you remember the sense of awe that you felt? Do you remember looking out and just thinking, wow, look at that? You know, my own lifetime, I've had a few moments like that. Some of them have been in some of the simplest places. Some of them have been in some very beautiful places. You know, when Rochelle and I first moved to Ohio from California, I had never what I call seen what I would call a true fall in my lifetime, a fall season. I can remember as we were driving uh, during that fall season, I believe it was probably one of the best fall colors that I have seen in my time that I have lived here. And as we drove, I was amazed at just the brilliance of the colors that were on the trees. I can remember one day just driving down the highway and like 
just like, I felt like I was worshiping God the entire time going, wow, look at how amazing this is. I can remember the first time that Rochelle and I went uh, on a Caribbean cruise together with our family and we went snorkeling uh, out in the ocean. I remember looking at everything under the sea and thinking to myself, it's incredible what God has created and the things that he has done. I felt this sense of awe. I used to take students in the summertime on travel camps when I was a youth pastor in California up to Yosemite and going out into the wilderness and especially into the Yosemite Valley. It is one of the most picturesque and beautiful places that you will ever go. And I remember sitting in that valley early one morning looking out and thinking to myself, man, look at what God created. This is incredible. Another time, I was driving down the Pacific Coast Highway in Southern California, and there had been a rainstorm that had come up and moved off of the ocean and went out over the land. But as I was driving down the coast with my buddy, we were in college, I remember as I looked out, I saw the storm here, but on this other side of the road, across the beach, and out over the ocean, was nothing but clear skies, but one of the most brilliant rainbows that I have ever seen in my entire life. So much so that we literally pulled off of the road, got out, went onto the beach and stood there and just marveled at like this scene. And I remember back then didn't have really good camera phones, so I couldn't capture something great, but it was incredible. But here's the deal. As incredible as it was, and I was in this state of awe looking at it out in front of me, It came back to reality pretty quick as I was dodging trash and cigarette butts all over the beach or when I drove back with students from Yosemite and we drove back into the LA basin that was full of smog. One of the things that I began to realize is that while we may have moments and glimpses in this life of what unbridled beauty or perfection may look like in creation, we're often very quickly brought back to the reality that the world we live in is less than perfection. But for Adam and Eve and their relationship with God, they lived in a perfect creation, the Bible tells us, where there was no sin, where there was no brokenness, where there was no fear, where there was no sadness. And it tells us in the Bible that they walked closely with God in a perfect relationship with the God who created them and who gave them everything that they could possibly need to feel completely fulfilled. And let her be what we learn as we read this account is that God withheld nothing from Adam and Eve that would cause them to feel less than one million percent fulfilled as they walked in a perfect relationship with him. Now you might pause as I say that and think to yourself, wait a second, God would withheld nothing from them, Rob? And I say, yeah, God withheld nothing that would cause them to feel less than fulfilled. But you might say, but Rob, there's one thing he didn't give them. And you're right, there was that one tree in the middle of the garden that the Bible tells us that God instructed Adam and Eve to not eat from. But here's the deal, this seemed good to Adam and Eve. It wasn't an issue. They enjoyed every bit of what God had given them in the rest of the entire world and they were completely satisfied in God and in his provision until the day when Satan came along to try to convince Adam and Eve that there was something that they were missing, maybe even more directly, something that they weren't seeing correctly in his estimation. If you have your Bibles, look with me at this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In Genesis chapter 3, we encounter this conversation after the creation 
where Satan has this conversation with Eve, and he sa- it says this. It says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Think about what happens in this passage. Adam and Eve, minding their own business, perfect relationship with God, and here comes Satan in the form of a snake to have this conversation with Eve where he looks at her and he begins with kind of a thing that he knows isn't true, a question he knows isn't true. Did God say you can't touch any of the trees in the garden? She said, no, 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 it's only one tree. And if we eat from it, we'll die. And what does Satan do? What Satan does in this next moment is that he lies in three very specific ways to Eve, but also to Adam. And today I want us to take a look at those three lies that Satan tells, and here's why. Because I think that at their very core, they are the same three lies that he continues to tell to us today. He's a little bit more crafty, a little bit more crazy in the way that he does this, but we fall prey to these same three things in our own lives almost every single day. And I want us to see them clearly this morning. Look at the first thing that he says to Eve after she says we're going to die if we eat from this tree. Letter A, he says you're not going to die. In other words, there's no consequences. Go ahead, take the fruit from the tree, take a bite, you're not going to die. And this continues to be one of Satan's biggest tricks to try to convince us to walk away from God today, to believe that there are no consequences Who cares if you drink too much? It's not going to hurt anybody. There's no consequences. Who cares what you're looking at on the computer? No one knows. There's no harm. Uncle Sam, he's got enough of your money. You don't got to claim it all. He'll never know. Gossip? Slandering another person's reputation? Just make it a prayer request and it's okay. Sex outside of marriage? God doesn't really care because nobody's perfect. The list could go on and on and on and on, but I believe you, get, you understand that Satan's tricks have never changed. He wants us to believe that sin and walking away from God's best for us has zero consequences. That's what he was communicating to Eve. But I want you to understand, in one sense, what he told Eve was actually true. Think about it. Adam and Eve pulled the fruit from the tree. They took a bite, and they still lived. Totally true in that exact moment, right in front of them, with their nearsighted blinders on, what Satan said had truth. They did not die in that moment. But that's part of Satan's game. Give half of the truth and make it look really, really good. Get them to focus on what is only right in front of them. So nearsighted, 
that all they can think about is what they will gain so that you won't think about what God desires and what you can potentially lose and what the consequences will be. This is what he did with Adam and Eve and this is what he does with us today. Look at that thing. Don't think about anything else. Just think about how good your life will be if you have this. Don't worry about the ancillary stuff. You need that to be fulfilled. The first lie was that you could that Adam and Eve could choose whatever they wanted and there would be no consequences. Letter B, he also said, your eyes will be opened. And what he was telling them is this, is that God is holding out on you. Literally, you will see things way more clearly than you currently do because God is holding back. He's not allowing you to see everything. And what Satan was suggesting was that there was some type of enlightenment that they needed. He was suggesting that there was a newfound awareness that they didn't have and that they needed their eyes to be opened. He had a knowledge that they didn't have and that they needed to know that there was something better. And I want you to know that I have seen this lie throughout my Christian life. I've seen it in my own life, but in the life of so many people, friends, family members, students that I've worked with, adults as I've worked in adult ministry. This lie is perpetuated in every single person's life in so many different ways. This idea that God is holding out on you. You know, what holds so many people back from surrendering their hearts to God in the first place and choosing to follow him. So often, what do you hear from people? There's too many rules. There's so many rules. God is nothing more than a killjoy. He's just trying to hold me back from truly enjoying life. Or what about Christians? Christians who live kind of a double life with one foot in, with God and the church and one foot in the world trying to balance both things. We buy into this belief that we can't be satisfied without sin because somehow God is holding back. So we try to figure out how can I have both? Or what I see happening even more in our culture, which breaks my heart, is the number of pastors in our world today who are deconstructing their faith and absolutely walking away from God. And they think to themselves, I'm tired of not enjoying the things that everyone else is enjoying for something that I'm not sure that I should believe in. All of it together has its root in this lie that somehow God is holding out on you. That shiny object in front of you, that thing that you want that God says isn't good, well, it'll make your life better if you just take it for yourself. And so we buy into this lie that God just wants to make you miserable. This is what Satan wanted Adam and Eve to believe. Your eyes are gonna be open to see that God is holding out on you. And here's what he's holding out on, letter C. You can be just like God. In other words, you can do better for yourself without God. You can find a deeper sense of fulfillment, a deeper sense of purpose, a deeper sense of security if you just take it all into your own hands. You will be like God. You can have his power. You don't need someone telling you what to do. You don't need somebody else providing for you. You don't need him. You can have it all. You can be the one that is in charge. And do you see what Satan was doing? He got them to focus only on what seemed immediately satisfying that was right in front of them. And herein lies the crux of the problem with nearsightedness. Letter A, 
Adam and Eve focused only on what they would gain that was sitting right in front of them. Like a child who looks and sees uh, a light socket that is on the wall and goes to put their finger in it. It's just there and it looks great. And so there's this impulsive movement to touch without any thought or idea of the danger that is there. Or looking at a shiny penny on the ground that must go in my mouth and be swallowed, right? Or at Christmas time, when all of you bring your cakes and your cookies here to church and put them on the island in our office for the staff, and we walk up and we see them, and it's like these blinders go on immediately, and we forget about diets, and we forget about health, and we just start shoving our mouths full, right? There is this impulsive thing that happens at times without us where we just respond without thinking. Adam and Eve focused only on what they would gain because they were focused only on what was right in front of them. And what Satan did is what he still does today. He plays on our impulses. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, we see this play out. After the lies have been told, it says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it. Notice it doesn't say she forced it down his throat, men. He also made the choice to eat it. What Satan did is he got Eve to believe that somehow her life was less than full. She needed this thing that was sitting right in front of herself. Not only would it be deliciously satisfying, but it would allow her to be on the same plane as God, and that is the only way that she would find fulfillment in life. See, the the crux of the nearsighted problem is that Adam and Eve focused only on what they would gain, which was right in front of them, but let her be because of this. They also couldn't see what they would stand to lose. And the loss was incredible. And we experience this same loss each and every day. Genesis chapter three, beginning in verse seven, it says that after they took a bite from the fruit, that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, what? The woman, you put her here with me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, what? The serpent deceived me. And so I ate it, always passing the buck. And here's the deal. As we read this passage, this is what stands out to me. Satan's half-truths. Satan's half-truths. He concealed his lies. What he promised to Adam and Eve was perfect vision, but only delivered on what was immediately expedient. 
Though Adam and Eve did not die immediately upon eating this fruit, and although their eyes were opened, they were rewarded only with seeing their nakedness and were then burdened with guilt and embarrassment. You see, Adam and Eve were so focused on what was directly in front of them that seemed good at the moment with these blinders on that they couldn't see what they would potentially lose with the choices that they were making. And let her see the trade-off was a complete bust. God would allow Adam and Eve, but he also allows us to learn the hard way. As you continue to read this passage in Genesis and what comes next after this encounter, as you begin to see that what God does is he puts a curse on the serpent, he puts a curse on the man and the woman, all of mankind, but also on the world order. And in that curse, what stands out to me is really, really clear. It's as though God looks at his creation and says, if you believe that you can find complete satisfaction without me, then I will remove myself from the equation. Go ahead and try. And what happened? Perfection was gone. And now, Adam and Eve, and every person that walks this planet since and today, has been searching desperately through all of creation to refind the fulfillment that we once had alone with God but never able to grasp onto it. Our nearsightedness is often what causes us to fail to see this, letter A, the brokenness of our human condition. When we are so focused on what is immediately in front of us and don't think about the bigger picture, our nearsightedness causes us to fail to see the brokenness of our human condition. Do you need examples of how sin against God leads to brokenness? Can you not see what our desire to be like God has gotten us into? Let me take a moment to give you some of the extreme examples of where sin leads us in this world. Never mind like the things we talk about a lot, like how we experience sin in our life and the brokenness that it brings. But let's actually take sin to its full end and see what it looks like in our world. Do you want to do this? Turn on the news this afternoon. Jump on Fox, jump on CNN, I don't care what, BBC, whatever you read for your news. Take a look at what is going on in our world today and you will see all over the place the destructive nature of sin and the brokenness that it brings into our lives. Look at what's happening in the world today. News headlines about a person like Jeffrey Epstein who with his rich elite friends spent their life seeking the greatest fulfillment and pleasure that they could out of this life by sexually exploiting young children. That is the extent of sin that brokenness brings into this world. Look at what's happening in Ukraine today as Russia comes and bombs innocent people mercilessly looking for power, looking to take land for themselves, not caring about other people. That is the end of sin. Look at what's been happening in the news over the last couple of weeks. Have you heard how in Nigeria the, the Fulani have been coming, Muslim people have been coming and killing Christians, going home to home and into churches, killing Christians because of their hatred towards them. This is the end of sin. Look at what happened to innocent women, children, and men on October 7th in Israel 
When they were woken from their sleep and shot dead, put into ovens, raped, mercilessly beaten, dragged through the streets, held hostage, made a spectacle to the world. This is what happens when men think to themselves, I can be God. They look for their greatest fulfillment in so many things, and they think that it is found in power and going to the ends of the earth. But you know what's crazy? Each of these people never find what they're looking for. No matter what evil they do, they never reach the end where they're satisfied. Why? Why in the things that you struggle with, which seem like they're so insignificant in comparison, why do they never actually give you the fulfillment that you're longing for? Here's why. Look at what happens every single day in this world as men and women from every walk of life, every nation, every tribe, every language and tongue strive to be like God. Our world is horribly broken by this lust to be like God. And the consequences of that is a rejection. It brings us to a place of rejection of God's plan for our life. You see, our nearsightedness not only causes us to fail to see the brokenness of the human condition, but let her be, we have consequences when it comes to rejecting God's plan. And here's what those consequences are. Sin against God in all forms, whether big or small, leave us broken and always seeking something else but often not finding it because we look for things in this world that can never give us that fulfillment. The consequences of rejecting God's plan for our life and pursuing sin separates us from each other. It brings us untold hurt, grief, pain, and suffering into our lives. It promises us enlightenment and hedonistic fulfillment, but it leaves us broken and empty and always needing something more. It breaks friendships, it destroys marriages and families. It takes advantage of the disadvantaged, but most significantly, it destroys our relationship with a God who loves us deeply. And I wanna say to you this morning, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior, the consequence that Satan doesn't want you to see this morning is that the Bible says that when you die, that you will be eternally separated from God. And the Bible says that when you are separated from God, that you will be separated from him in conscious torment in a place that is called hell. Now, hell is not a popular thing to talk about in many places, in, our, in many churches, even in our world today. Think, oh, it's it, it just nobody likes to talk about that. It sounds really bad, and so we want to doctor things up and make it feel better. But the truth of the gospel is, is that that is the destination for every person that walks this planet that doesn't believe in Jesus. Eternal separation and conscious torment forever. And you might look at me, if you're not a believer this morning, you might say, well, why would I want to follow a God that would send people to hell? How's that loving? How would that be a God that I want to follow? And I want to say this to you this morning. Let me explain to you the value and worth of Jesus and God's plan. You see, from the very beginning, when we look in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, our rebellion and rejection of God, if we were to follow the rules the way that we write them in our lives, like when somebody sins against us, when somebody damages our relationship with them, what's our response? We wanna put them down. 
we think that there's justice that needs to be served. What should God have done when Adam and Eve and even us have rebelled against him? If we've played by the same rules we play in our own lives, what God should have done is destroyed us at that very moment and said, I'm done with this creation. But what does the Bible say that God did? God in his great love for you sent his son Jesus into this world, an innocent man to live, but then to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your rebellion against God. And he says that if you would put your faith and your trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and in what he has done to save your life, to save you from these decisions that all of us have made, to walk away from God and to try to find our fulfillment in things outside of a relationship with him, if you would put your faith in him, it says that he invites you back into his family and reconciles your relationship with him to the point that it is just as if you had never sinned. What an incredible gift of love. Do you understand hell? Hell is reserved for people who have rejected the greatest act of love that they have ever seen in this world when God sent his son. It is reserved for the greatest act of rebellion against our creator. But though we've already rebelled, he has made a way for us to be reunited with him in a relationship where we can choose to surrender our hearts to him after we have realized the folly of trying to find fulfillment in a broken world and come to our senses and literally have our eyes opened to see clearly that he has always had the answer for the thing, that, the fulfillment that we long for the most. Let her see. What I want you to catch this morning is that our nearsightedness often causes us to fail to see that truth, the value and worth of all that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you this morning is this, is that all of our eyes would be opened to see the foolishness of the lies that we have believed and to surrender our hearts to God where Satan continually tells us that there are no consequences for sin and that we can be like God and find our own satisfaction, that we would move aside from the foolishness of those lives and give our hearts back to the Lord and allow him to be the one that gives us the greatest fulfillment in this life, but also in the life to come. I wanna invite you to pray with me. As we pray this morning, I've tried hard to make as clear as I can the gospel message for you. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. My prayer this week has been is that you would see as we walked through this passage this morning, the brokenness of our world clearly, that God would allow the nearsighted blinders to fall off and that you would see that message clearly but that also you would see more clearly than you ever have just how deeply God loves you. And that no matter what you have done, no matter what sin you have committed, no matter how far you have been from God, he loves you so much that he invites you into that relationship. If you would believe and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you. And so if you would like to make that decision this morning, as our heads are bowed and we pray together, I would invite you just simply to pray this simple prayer after me. 
God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I have rebelled against you. But I thank you that you have loved me so much that you sent your son Jesus into this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be reconciled to you and experience the full life that I have been longing for now and for all of eternity. And I confess to you today that I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And today, God, I choose to follow you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And thank you, God, for loving me. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I would just tell you there's nothing magical about the prayer. It is simply an expression of your heart to God saying, God, I recognize my sin, but I recognize the gift of your son and the gracious gift you've given me, and I choose to follow you. And the Bible says that if you've made that choice, that you receive the gift of salvation. And my encouragement to you is that if you made that decision, you prayed that prayer this morning, is that you would let me know that you made that decision. I would love to just journey with you and help you walk in that relationship with God as you begin this journey with him of surrendering your heart to him. I'd encourage you as the service closes today, just grab a connection card out of the pew, write your name on it, and just say, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. And those two buckets in the back where other people are dropping things for the annual meeting, they will have no idea what you're doing. Just drop it in there. And I would love to get in touch with you and just talk about that journey that you can have with him. But also this morning, church family, uh, we're going to move into our time of communion together as we close our service. And I want to encourage you that I know that for many of us, we've been walking with God for a long time, but we recognize, and I know that the Spirit of God has been speaking to us, and that so often we allow ourselves to have those blinders on where there's sin that we're wrestling with in our life that we have not given up. We've bought into the lie that this shiny thing will make my life better, refusing to see the brokenness that it brings. And I want you to know this morning that God reaches out to you as well and asks you to confess your sin to him and to remember that he sent his son Jesus to die for that sin so that you could experience all that God has for you. I want to encourage you today to reflect on that and to yield your heart to God in these areas of your life. As we move towards communion, we're going to have just a short time of reflection. And uh, Pastor Adam uh, is going to lead us in a song and I don't want you to sing the song. You know it. We've done it before. But I'd love for you just to reflect on these words, to think about the depth of meaning of what they say, but also how they relate to what we've talked about this morning, and use it as a beautiful time of worship with the Lord where you can confess sin before him, but also give thanks to Jesus for all that he has done for you. shadows deepen we do but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through we do do you wish that you could see it all made new we do 
Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? with me. He is 
is worthy. He's worthy because the very Son of God came down into this world where we rebelled against him. And he went to a cross, giving up his life, allowing his body to be broken so that we can be reconciled to God. And that's why we take communion, to be reminded of the depth of how much God loves us. My prayer is that as we take communion today, that the blinders would fall off of our eyes, that we wouldn't be nearsighted, but that even though Satan lied when he said that Adam and Eve would see clearly, that we would truly see clearly the brokenness of our world, but even more so the depth of how much God loves you. Let's take together. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, communion with his disciples that night before he died, he also took the cup. And when he took the cup, he reminded the disciples that this cup was a representation of his blood that would be poured out to cover over their sin. And it covers over your sin as well. One of the lies that Satan continues to tell us over and over again is that our sin will always separate us from God that we've done too many wrong things or we've struggled too much or we've asked for forgiveness too many times. And so he tries to hold us hostage and in bondage to that sin. But Jesus reminds us that in his blood, it was the perfect sacrifice to cover over every sin. And this morning, I want you to see clearly that God's blood has covered your sin. There is no distance that you have gone too far from God that you cannot be forgiven. And he invites you into that relationship with him. And so let's take with joy in our hearts for the gift that God has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's take together. God, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us. And I thank you, Lord, for the time that we have had in your word this morning. God, I pray that as we uh, can continue to consider the things that we have studied and talked about, that you would daily and continually be opening up our eyes, that, Father, you would cause the issue that we have of nearsightedness, of merely looking at things in sin that is right in front of us that seems so appealing. Help us, Father, to truly see its destructiveness and what it does and has done to the world that surrounds us. As well, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the depth of your love for us. And I pray, God, that you would encourage us regularly, reminding us that one day you will come and you will return again and you will take us to be your own and that we will reign with you forever with all sin and all evil and all brokenness and all sadness and all pain and all grief removed as we live once again in a perfect relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would remind us continually of that hope and all that Christ has done to accomplish that for us so that as we live in this world and we wrestle with sin, that we would be able to continually surrender our hearts and our lives to you and live in righteousness that brings glory and honor to your name. We declare this morning, God, that we believe in you, that we love you, and we desire to be used by you. And so as we go from this place, God, I just pray that you would receive all glory and honor because you, God, are worthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
as we close our service today, if there are any prayer needs that you have, or is there something that you have been wrestling with and you would like somebody to pray with you, Jim Eckert is here uh, in the front, and uh, Bob and Jerry DeYarman will be here on this side. They would love that opportunity to pray with you, whether here in this room or in our prayer room today. But church family, I say the same thing, I think, almost every single week as you go out, and I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. As you go out, live your lives this week wholeheartedly surrendered to the Lord and allow him to use your life as a testimony to a world that desperately needs him so that more people will find and follow Jesus to the glory of his name. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.